Well, good morning again. Truths unchanged that echo down into eternity. God's word is true. It does not change. And I want to tell you five truths about you. Five truths about you. The five truths that we learned this week at VBS. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are sovereign, holy, and a loving God. Thank you that you care for us. You made us, and you made us for a reason. And so I pray, Lord, now for your word as it goes forth, that it would do its job as you have promised, that it would go out and it would not come back void. If we're discouraged today, Lord God, I pray that those who may be discouraged or in despair or, or worry would find freedom in your word today. For those who may not know you, Lord God, as you would want them to know you, I pray that they would know you this day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First truth, God created you. God created you. That is a truth that is from the dawn of time that does not change, will never change, no matter what science will teach you. God created this world. God created humans. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When it says God created the heavens and the earth, that means God created heaven itself. God created earth. God created hell. He created everything in creation. The only uncreated being is God himself. God created the world. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God made all the incredible cool animals that we studied this week. We saw the platypus and the dingo and the kangaroo and the koala and whatever else we saw and the, and the, and the coral reef and all those things. But the chief of all of God's creation is you human beings. He created humans in his image. And he created them male and female. Let that truth be known to your children. Don't let them fall victim to this world and its culture. Second, God created you special. God created you special. What do I mean by special? The Bible tells us this. In Psalm 139, our verse for day two. Psalm 139, verses 14 to 16, it says, the writer David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You are so special to God. God not only created you, God created you the way you are. God made your DNA 
unique. God knit you together so that you have the features that you have. You have the heritage that you have. That God made you special. And that includes every human being. We even addressed this week about those who maybe were born with disabilities. Are they special and unique in God's sight? Absolutely. God made them wonderfully too. God made you special. You are not on the level of animals in any way, shape, or form. God created you, and God made you special. Teach this to your children. Let them know this truth. God created you. God created you special. To think that God took you and knit you. The wording that the psalmist used is how precise and how intimately involved God was in making you. You. That's how much God loves you. Truth number three. God wants you to value life. God wants you to value life because God values life. If God cares enough to create you, and we should be clear, God doesn't need you and God doesn't need me. God needs nothing. God is complete and sufficient in and of himself. He didn't need us, but he made us because he loves us. He made you special. Made you special because he values life. And God wants you to value life. The verse that we learned for the week for day three was Luke 6.31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. We know that as the golden rule. Oftentimes you will hear it stated in the negative. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. That, That puts it in a place where I don't do anything. It's a verse that would make you retreat from people, as opposed to how Jesus said it, and as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's it's going towards people. It's valuing people and helping people out, caring about people, not, not not talking cruel about people, not being unkind to people, be caring and loving, teaching our children to do the same. Teaching our children that if you're in school and you see that person who is always by themselves, the person who is always sad or seems to be picked on by everybody else, that's the person that you should go sit with because that's the person Jesus would want you to go sit with. That we care about others. We value life and we don't want to see life destroyed. That we value life from the womb, as they say, to the tomb. Teach your children and know for yourself you are valuable because you're created in God's image. And God says to value life. Most importantly, on day four, we learned this. And if you listen to anything, I pray you listen to this truth. God made you for a relationship. It only makes sense. That God would create the world. God would create you. He would make you special. He would make you valuable and want you to value life. But but if God just stopped there, what would be the point? 
If there's nothing beyond this world, if all we have to look forward to is getting as much as we can and doing as much as we can for ourselves in this world and then dying, and there's nothing beyond that, what's the point? It makes no sense. God created humans to have a relationship. God created you for a relationship. For a relationship with Him. Again, what does the Bible tell us in Genesis 1.27? So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. It says God created them. But God did something different when He created man than He did with any other creature. Yes, God made elephants and tigers and bears and oh my and all that stuff. Yes, He made those, but He made you humans special above because it tells us this in Genesis 2-7. And then the Lord God formed the man, that is Adam, He formed him. The idea again of being knit together. He took dirt that God created and He formed Adam. And it says this, And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God breathed into Adam his own spirit, his own life. And Adam became a living being. And he was created for worship with God. But Adam wasn't satisfied with a relationship with God. Adam was given the entire garden, the entire world. You know, as they say, the world is your oyster. He had everything except for one tree. God said, you don't eat of that tree. That's the tree I don't want you to eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He goes, just leave that tree alone and everything's going to be good. One simple rule. He had everything he could possibly want. Everything his soul could possibly desire, he had except for that one thing. And the Bible tells us that sin entered in. Satan himself came into the garden in the form of a serpent, and he tempted Eve. And with that, she gave the fruit to her husband Adam, and he ate. And the Bible tells us that their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked, that they were in a broken relationship with God. And once the relationship was broken, it was broken. There was going to be no repairing it. There was nothing they themselves could do to repair the relationship. It was broken forever. What Adam did was called sin. It's called original sin. It's tainted the entire world. You and I are also tainted by sin. You and I sin. Has anybody in here ever lied? I think every hand should probably go up, right? Anybody ever stole anything? You ever stole a pack of gum? I stole a pack of gum once from J.J. Newberry's. That's how old I am, if you know what J.J. Newberry's is, right? Um, I stole a pack of gum from A.M.P. one time, and my mom marched me right back to that store, and I had to go to the manager and give it back. Um, we've all sinned. The sin means to fall short of God's standard. God's standard is perfection, holiness. This is the bar to fall short of it, to not live up to this. We cannot of ourselves live up to it. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, 
and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. None of us can say I'm without sin. None of us can say, in all honesty, I'm a good person. There was only one good person who ever lived in this world. His name was Jesus Christ. Only one person. Do we do good things? Do we do acts of kindness? And Yes, we do good things, but we are not good inherently in and of ourselves. The Bible tells us again in Romans 3, 23, for all. Who is included in all? All. Everybody. Not a single human being except for one has sinned. And they fall short of the glory of God. God, in the garden, when he told Adam, he goes, if you disobey me in this one rule, the day you do, you will die. Adam had no clue what death was. God, I'm sure, instructed him, kind of explained to him what it would be, that the death that would come to you, Adam, is a broken relationship with me, and eventually it would lead to physical death. The reason there's physical death in the world is because there's sin in the world. The reason that people get cancer, leukemia, uh, horrible things happen to people in this world is because of sin. Now, if somebody gets cancer, did they sin to get cancer? No, it's just part of what happens in creation because of the fall. But our broken relationship with God, when we intentionally sin against God, there's a price with that. It's not like it just, oh, well, it's no big deal. God told Adam, the day you do it, you'll die. The Bible tells us this in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin. Know this, that everything you do has a price attached to it. We may never think about it, but it has a price attached to it. There's a cost. There's a cost to what we believe. There's a cost to our world view. If we believe that we're, at, we're, we're, we're evolved from primordial soup and from monkeys and so on, then we have no value of life. If we believe that we are created in the image of God and God knit us together in our mother's womb and God created us for a relationship, then we have a high value of life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, separation from God. If you and I persist in our sin, refusing to acknowledge the truths about God, that God created you, that God made you special, that God values life, and God wants a relationship with you, if you refuse those things, then what awaits for you is eternal death in a place called hell. It's a real place. God created it. He owns it. He runs it. He's in charge of it, not the devil. God says the wages of sin is death. And God, if we stopped right there, God would be completely right and justified. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible tells us this. But the free gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are great words to hear. Because what if God wanted to stop with the wages of sin is death. But he didn't because God created you to be in a relationship with him. 
He wants to be in a relationship with you. Because we cannot, of our own selves, by our good works, the good things that we do, the kind acts that we do. I've done hundreds of funerals for people as a pastor. For people in the church, people outside the church, oftentimes a funeral home will call and say, hey, I have a, a per-, you know, they want a pastor. We don't, you know, we don't know what to do. I, I always say yes because it's an opportunity to share the truth of who Jesus is. But when you talk to people, you will always hear when you ask them, why should you go to heaven? Why should God let you into heaven? Oh, I'm a good person. Okay. We start going down the list of the Ten Commandments. I'll ask, have you ever stole anything? Oh, yeah. Well, the Bible says you shall not steal. So you're admitting you're a thief. Okay, you're a thief. All right, so you're not that good. And we can go down the list. And I don't know the, the guilt, but to point out the truth that you are not good in and of yourself. And there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. Not a single thing. You can go to church your entire life, never miss, be at every event at the church. And if you think that's going to win you favor with God, you're wrong. It doesn't. It just makes you a church attender. God created you to be in a relationship with Him. And God knows that we cannot bridge that gap between God's holiness and our sin. Only one person can, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God knew that before he created the world because when Adam sinned against God, God asked Adam, what did you do? Adam fessed up. Actually, Adam blamed God. You know that Adam said, no, the woman you gave me, she gave me this fruit and I ate. So it's really your fault, God. We're all good at that, aren't we? Blame shifting, right? It's all somebody else. It's never my fault. But God turned around to the serpent in the garden and he made a promise. God made a promise to the one who brought sin and death into the world. He says this in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is the absolute most important verse in all of the Bible. I am absolutely convinced of that. If you understand what this says, what did God say? To the relief of Adam, when he heard these words, he knew, I'm not going to die right now. Because God said, I'm going to let you live, Adam, and we're going to work this thing out. And from you, Adam, from you and your wife is going to come a human being who will crush sin and death. And the Bible, from that point on, read the Bible, is an unfolding of what is called the promised seed. So Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain rises up, he kills his brother. Ooh, it seems the promised seed has been killed. No, Seth comes on the scene, and you follow the story. And then there's Noah, and then there's this guy, and then there's Jacob, and then there's, uh, uh, oh, there's David. And eventually comes onto the scene a man who was born not of the will of man, but of the will of God. 
Because a young woman in Israel was just doing her own thing one day, and God sent his angel Gabriel who appeared to her and says, You know what, Mary? You're a virgin, and you're going to have a child. And she asked the logical question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive and give birth to a son. And later on, Gabriel tells Joseph, Mary's fiancé, that this this boy's name is going to be Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. See, he wasn't born through flesh and blood, but he was born through the Spirit of God. And if you read the Bible, you see that Genesis 3.15, the one that's going to crush the serpent's head, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only person in the world, in the history of the world, who never once sinned. He truly was a good man. And he came into this world because he loves you. Because God created you. Because God made you special. Because God values your life. If God didn't value your life, He would let you go off into eternity without Him forever. But He values your life. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world. Why? The Bible tells us. Probably one of the most famous verses in all the Scripture. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Should not perish but have eternal life. When Jesus came into this world from a baby, it was important that he came, was conceived in the womb, that he lived an entire life just as you and I did, born. Think about it. God came in the form of a little baby, completely helpless, the most powerful being in the universe was helpless at the mercy of two human beings. He lived a perfect life. Jesus never once talked back to his mother. Jesus never once as a man had a disgusting thought about a woman. Jesus never once made a left-hand turn in his chariot on a red light. I don't know what else to say. You know what I mean. The things that we say, well, it's not that big of a deal. God may say it actually is a big deal. Jesus always did what is right. He always obeyed what God told him to do. You take the list of the Ten Commandments and Jesus can say, I would ask you today, have you, is, 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 you have any gods above God? We could all say, yes, I do. And that God happens to be me. We go down the list of Ten Commandments. Have you broken them? Jesus would be the only one in the room who does not raise his hand. Ask the question, have you fulfilled the Ten Commandments? Have you lived a perfect life? Jesus would be the only one in the room who could raise his hand, not in arrogance and pride, but in truth and in humility. And Jesus lived a perfect life, the life that you and I could not live. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, 
to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Why is it so important that Jesus was born of a virgin, born of a woman, born under the law, by the way, the scriptures tell us, so that Jesus would be born unique of all human beings. Jesus was born under the law of God. He fulfilled the law of God. And for that, Jesus was crucified for being a perfect human being who never once sinned. But he did it for a reason. He did it because he loves you. He did it because God created you. Jesus created you. Jesus created you special. Jesus values your life. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And again, the only way to have it is for somebody to stand between the righteous judgment of God and death. And Jesus enters in and he stands between. And when this by this verse right here it says that he who knew no sin became sin because on the cross... My sin, your sin, future sins that, we're going to be, that will be committed were all placed upon Jesus Christ. On Jesus was poured out the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, and only God can absorb His own wrath. And He absorbed it for you and I. And for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, an amazing thing happens Our sin goes to the account of Jesus Christ. And His righteousness, His perfect holiness is accounted to us. And therefore, now I, in Christ Jesus, am a perfect human being from God's perspective. And now I can have a right relationship with God. There's nothing to break it in between. Do I still sin? Yes. But the work of Christ still applies. The work of Christ still sanctifies. I would ask you today, do you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? But I'm also going to tell you, just because Jesus Christ so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever is would not perish but have everlasting life, does not mean that everybody's going to heaven. God is not universalist. God God did not make a bunch of robots. God wants you, of your own free will, your own personal choice to say, I want to choose Jesus Christ. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that in this world, I cannot make it apart from the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, but it's not free. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you saying no to the way you used to live. It's going to cost you saying no to sin and temptation and turning and living a life for Christ. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what Jesus is saying is, you need to die to yourself. You need to be willing to die to yourself. 
If you're willing to do that, I will help you die to yourself, and I will help you follow me. And Jesus puts this there. He says, for what would it profit a man, a human being? What would it profit you if you were to gain the whole world? The Powerball's at $400 million or whatever it is. You hit it. You think your life would be better? Of course it would be. My life would be better. I would love $400 million. Anybody here do not want $400 million? Of course we all do. But if you were to gain the world, but lose your soul, what would it profit a person? It wouldn't. Because all the money in the world all the things, the good things that you could do with $400 million will not earn you heaven. Only in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ of surrendering myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming His faithful servant, striving to be His faithful servant, seeking to obey Him in all that He tells me to do. Understand the cost. If you're willing to pay the cost, how does one receive the gift of eternal life? Jesus, when he came into the world, when he was grown up, when God began his ministry, Jesus comes into the world and Jesus begins to tell people how to have a right relationship with him, with God through him. And he begins with one word. Matthew 4, 17 says this. And from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the word repent. It's a way of summing up saying I'm willing to take up my cross and die to myself. That if I am walking this way in the world, if my mindset is this way, that I'm going to actually turn around and I'm going to walk in a different direction. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go 180 degrees in the other direction in the way I think and in the way I act. It's exactly what Peter said in the very first sermon of the church. Peter preaches an amazing sermon. And the Bible tells us that the people were cut to the heart. What do we do? They understood that God's word, that what what their sin was separating them from their God. And they wanted to do something about it. They said, what do we do? And Peter uses the very same word. He says, repent in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the progression. Repent. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. Because baptism is an outward symbol of saying, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to raise to new life in Jesus Christ. What does it take to have a right relationship with God? It takes calling upon the Lord and saving faith. Romans 10, 13 tells us this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've really placed your faith in Him, and you are trusting in His work on your behalf to grant, to give you access to heaven and to live a life that pleases Him, you will be saved. And when Jesus says you will be saved, that means you will be saved. It will never change. That status will never change. And that will be proved out by the fact that you never go back to an old way of life. 
Jesus had a very dear friend who passed away. His name was Lazarus. And when he went to the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus' sister said to him, says, you know, Jesus, if you would have been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. Jesus turned to her and said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what it's really all about. Whoever believes in me. What's it mean to believe? If we were to say, I believe in Jesus, how many people would probably say yes? I think history believes in Jesus. What do you mean by believing? I believe that Abraham Lincoln is the 16th president of the United States of America. My church has heard me say this many times. You know what, you know what that does for me? It gets me a correct answer on a history test. That's all it does for me. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ means I am sold out to Him, that I am trusting Him, that I am no longer walking this way, that I am believing this way, I'm walking this way. My mind is thinking different. My mind is focused on pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ and no longer myself. And even though you will die physically, and you will, and I will, yet shall you live. Why? Because Jesus so wants a relationship with you, because he created you, because he made you special, because he values your life, and because he wants a relationship with you. He not only came into the world to die on your behalf and rise again on your behalf so that you could be made right in God's eyes, but he also says that I'm gonna, when I leave this earth and he left and he's going to come back one day, and when he comes back, he's going to bring you, if you're his child, to his forever home, a place called heaven. Jesus said this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. A world in which there's no sorrow, in which there's no sin, there's no tears, there's no heartache, there's nobody cutting each other off on the highways of heaven. None of that is going on. It's the most perfect place there could possibly be. There's only one way to get there through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most important truth you will ever hear in your entire life. And I would ask you today, do you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If not, why? What would keep you? You have too much invested in this world? Oh, if I do that, then my family won't love me. My friends won't like me. You know what? Probably true. It happened to Jesus. At the end of his life, one person was standing there. One. I can tell you this, loved ones. That's a price worth paying. Because you really won't be alone. Your family may reject you. Your friends may tell you. You may lose a job. You may be persecuted. You may one day be thrown in jail because of Jesus. But you're not alone in it because Jesus creates a place. He is creating a place. said he would build a place called the church where we're a body of believers of a like mind. And you will never be alone in this world. Jesus has thought of everything because Jesus loves you. God made you 
to have a relationship with him. And God also made you for a reason. For God made you with a purpose. There's no wasted lives in God's kingdom. How many of us have heard the horrible words from parents that you're worthless? You have no value. How many of us have been treated by those who love us, who say they love us, and treat us as if we had no value? We all know that pain. We all know that. But God created you for a reason. It would only make sense if he created you, if he made you special, if he values your life, and he created you to have a relationship with you, and then he would want you to have a purpose in life. A purpose on this side of heaven. The Bible tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he was caught up into a cloud and he went into the heavens. The account is here in Acts 1, verses 6 to 11. Let me read it for you. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is, not to, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into the heavens, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here's what happened. The disciples were saying goodbye to Jesus. Jesus was actually saying goodbye to the disciples. They didn't expect him to leave. They want to know what's going to happen now. He says, that's not for you to know. You just need to be worried about this. Know that my Father will give you power from on high. And you have a purpose now. I want you to be my disciples. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to tell others about me, about who I am and what I've done. That was their purpose. They didn't get it. Because the Bible tells us, I love love this. I wish I was there. I really hope in heaven that all these Bible stories are on film for us so we could watch what happened. That would be really cool. I don't know if it's going to be. I mean, guess why would I want to watch that when I can see Jesus? But here's it in my mind. I always put things in like I'm, I'm writing a script, a movie, and he, Jesus is lifted up in the heavens and the clouds, and they're looking up amazed. They've never seen anybody fly before. I would be amazed too. Sitting there looking, they're, they're like, they're looking up into heaven, and all of a sudden two angels appear and says, why are you looking into heaven? What are you doing? He's going to come back the same way. He just told you, you got a job to do. Get to work. Go and be my witnesses. Tell about who Jesus is. Tell the wonderful story of how God saved you, of how much God loves this world. Tell the story of how God created the world, how God made you special, how God values your life, how God wants a relationship with you, and how God has a purpose for you. It's to tell people about Jesus. There's another purpose. It's to be part of Jesus' church. 
this is not my church, I'm the pastor, and there's three other pastors. This is not our church. Yes, it's our church in a sense that God has given us you know, the responsibility for it, but this is Jesus' church. He builds his church. And he wants everybody who claims to be a Christian, who calls upon the name of the Lord in saving faith, to be involved and part of the church. He does not want people to come in and say, I said a prayer, I'm good for eternity, and show up on Sunday morning for an hour and leave and never be seen again till the next Sunday. That's not what he's about. The Bible tells us this about the church. It, 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 it compares the church to that of a body. Your own body has many different parts. It says this. I need a drink first, sorry. For as the body does not consist of one member, but many members. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God has saved you for a purpose, to have a relationship with him, to be his witness, and to be part of his church. God has a job for you in his church. Now, some of you have not gone to your church today to visit with us because we asked you to. We're not trying to steal you from your church. If you go to a church that really doesn't preach the word of God, the Bible says flee, get away from there. But if you have a church that preaches the word of God and you are a Sunday morning Christian, Become even more obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Get involved in your church. Serve and help your church. Build your church as you should. God has a purpose for you. You may be an ear. You may be an eye. You may be a hand. You may be a toe. Who knows? But God has a purpose for you. And that purpose is for building his kingdom. And God has another purpose for you and for me if we're his child. That whatever we do, whatever we do, we would make sure that we do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Good news. We're about to go have a barbecue. You're going to be able to practice eating and drinking to the glory of God. But did you ever think, that how you eat and how you drink is a matter of the glory of God? The Bible says that it is. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, how you drive, how you talk, this and that, do it all for the glory of God. That's five truths about you. Let me remind them of you again. God created you. God made you special. God values your life. God made you for a relationship with him, and God made you for a purpose. It is my sincere hope and prayer that you understand these truths. If you have any questions about any of these things, please do not leave this place without settling these questions. It literally is a matter of life and death. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, a sovereign, holy, and righteous God, loved us so much that you made us. And that when we broke a relationship with you, when sin came into this world, that you made a way for us to be in a right relationship with you. And you've given us a purpose. You value our life. Father, forgive us for our sins. And Father, help us, empower us to live for you, to live for the purpose of which you created us. Lord, we ask now that as we go and sing a final song, and as we go and fellowship and have burgers, may we enjoy each other, and may we eat and drink to the glory of God alone. Amen. Let's stand, let's close in a song. Let's close in doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless.